Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Glory Church, you guys can have a seat. It's good to have you in the month of February. I thought we were going to, you know, be able to experience spring a little sooner, but then it's like nasty cold again, and I looked at the radar because now I I feel like when you're a homeowner uh, and you're renovating and things are exposed, you're like obsessed with the the radar. I feel like I'm my dad, who still calls me to this day. Hey, did you know it's raining? I'm like, Dad, I see it. Hey, be be careful out there. It's going to snow. Dad, it is. I see it. It's snowing. But I, be, I become like my, my dad, and now I'm looking at it, and it's going to snow next week. That's just not fun. Like, well, I'm just done with that. Yeah, we, we just pray that away, pray it away. It's our birthday next week, okay? Year four of Glory Church. So join us. Uh, not only that, but every year since the beginning, uh, we have spent time as a staff, as leadership. Uh, back in the day, it was just Kate and I. Uh, and now we have grown, our staff has grown uh, to, to wonderful people, and we love uh, the, the size, the commitment, the heart of our staff. So thank you, uh, those of you who are part of it. Uh, I love serving with you. But we approach every new year with a prayer, uh, a longing, God, what is your desire for that year? What is your heart? What is your theme? And we've claimed it every year, a theme. Last year, the word was breakthrough, and it was a year of breakthrough. This year, as we've approached it, we've given you the word rhythm, rhythms, that this year we're having a year of Sabbath. And by what I mean by that is uh, not just this, that we're going to just Sabbath every day, or, or this idea of, of, of uh, Sabbath is just going to be added in. No, we're going to pause and realize that uh, for God, the seventh day completed what he began on day one. And so if we're going to have a year of Sabbath, then we're going to actually say, God, I don't just want to have rest, but I want to actually do day one like you do day one. I want to actually do day two like you do day two. I want to work in pace, in rhythm with you so that I know, like, not just uh, I just take a break or I get burnout. How many of you, your last year, you experienced burnout? It's really interesting in uh The fall season, attendance drips, like it drops. I mean, things just change so quickly. It's burnout. We, our serve teams struggle. I mean, honestly, I will, I will, I will say it so Jeremy doesn't have to. Uh, What you see up here, band wise, is pretty much with a handful of maybe two or more, is what we have for our band. Because the burnout comes, heaviness sets in, and people just. I can't commit anymore. I need to take a break. So how do we minister? How do we keep going, work, rest, engage in life, give consistently without this burnout? It's by stepping into the rhythm, the pace of the Lord. And so I'm really excited to do this as a church. So last month, uh, when we've attached, just to preface those of you who are new, each month we are diving into a new rhythm of the Lord. All right, so you started, you came in on, on month uh, two, day one of it. So we're unpacking a new rhythm today, which I'm excited. Uh, but last month we fasted, the rhythm of the Lord of fasting. And we really, there's the whole heartbeat of it was uh, this rhythm of fasting teaches us of our neediness to the Lord. And the rhythm of fasting teaches us of our authority in the Lord. Why did that demon not be driven out by the disciples? 
because it takes prayer and fasting. Why prayer, prayer and fasting? Because fasting builds our faith and we can stand strong in our authority of who God is, who we are. And so that was all last month. I'm really excited. If you struggle this year, just a little, a little thing. If you have a hard week and you know you need authority in the week, maybe you can pull on last month's rhythm and decide, I'm gonna fast this week. I'm gonna add something in, all right? So just because we're not doing a 21 days of fast doesn't mean that you can't do a, a day fast, all right, to just add that in. But here we are. Rhythm number two, are you ready for this? I'm excited. This one, uh, it's a little fun, maybe uh, one that you're not used to. It's really interesting as we dive into these rhythms because the world likes to take God's things and uh, put their brand on it, right? And have you noticed that? And they like to take God's things since day one of sin. We just take God's things and we just like to put our look on it, our brand, our shift. And so fasting, you know, is healthy in the world, intermittent fasting, all these things. You can get really good results in the world standards. But we're going to look at it as God's standards. The same thing applies to this next one. So if you want to take notes with us this morning, our theme for the month of February, rhythm number two, is the rhythm of breaking bread. The rhythm of breaking bread, um, which I am really excited about it. The little tagline of there says, the true act of community. Now, the world uh, loves breaking bread. We see this at, at you know, the start. When, when worldly people are together, they like to eat a lot. Not only that, but there is always alcohol a part of it too. I mean, it's interesting that Jesus instituted this with alcohol as well, um, but a little different handing, right? Uh, the world likes to take it and put their brand on it and breaking bread, I'm really excited. It is, in scripture, a very continual action. It is something that's very communal. It is done with purpose, done together. It is a meal. It's around a table. The body of, and blood of Christ is the message. There's a call to unity and this gospel proclamation. We're going to be spending uh, four weeks, a whole month, saying, how do I add in the rhythm of breaking bread, step into breaking bread in every interaction with godly people, every interaction with ungodly people? How do I make a table a breaking bread table? How do I make a conversation a breaking bread conversation? And you're like, what? How are we? But I'm really excited, okay? We're going to open this up. Because I, I didn't just come up with these words on my own. Breaking bread is actually a, uh, a phrase in the Greek. We're going to get into it more and more as we go. Um, but it's a phrase coined by Dr. Luke, uh, which he was a, known as a physician. Uh, the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke. Uh, he is known as a physician of it. But not only that, he also wrote the book of Acts. So you don't see these words anywhere else other than in Luke and an axe. And then Paul likes to take this and he will spin it off later in, in, in 1 Corinthians. He does a little bit of a difference of the wordplay, but you, if you've ever read the book of Acts, you know that Paul began his faith under the leadership and the authority of the early apostles, right? And so he's hearing, he's getting ideas of, and this is not just uh, Luke's gospel, this is not just, uh, this is not just Peter's ways, this is the way of Jesus. They break bread. 
And I'm excited to dive into it. Also, um, just like how we fasted for 21 days, I mean, it's not the opposite. We're not going to feast for 21 days. I'm not going to tell you to just get, get really fat together. That's not the point. Uh, however, next week, I will give you a 21-day challenge. All right, just heads up for that. Uh, it will begin next week. And what you're going to do, because I need you to have this like some theological base this week, and the next week we're going to set you off on fire with it, okay? But you will in 21 days host a breaking bread meal in your home. It's a challenge, at least one of them. That means all over the board, there are going to be meals meals, plural, hosted by you. And that means if you are dating someone, you're not married, that's two homes. All right? You right? You hear me? You can't just share in with someone. If you're single, you get to host. In whatever way, you do it, but you will be, and I'll give you more words, more help with this, but you're going to host a breaking bread meal. Okay? Sit around a table. That's all I'm going to give you. One in, during the 21 days. Do not wait until the last minute or everyone's going to be doing that and you're going to say, sorry, I was already invited to, to, to Sheila's over here. I can't go to yours. Um, there's no one named Sheila in our church. But before we get into this, I set that up for you. I'm excited. Uh, before we get into this, I want to just show you the key instances where this, this, this phrase breaking bread was in, okay? Because I just want you to know that I'm not just making crap up on my own, okay? I'm not just making this up. So the first instance is actually in Luke 22, 19, and, and it's going to be up here, and we're going to plow through these, but I just need you to set the scene uh, with me. Like, I, I need us to understand the, the whole cusp of this. It says, and he, Jesus, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. I need you to do this in remembrance of me, but I want to read this whole thing so that you understand the context. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten the bread, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. It's in my blood. Verse 21, but behold, and realize the scene is set around a table, a meal. There's, there's friends, there's disciples, all of them. And then verse 20, 21 happens, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be? And I wanted to add verse 24 in this, even though it has a new heading, because it says a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them would be regarded as the greatest. And you're like, boys, what's your problem? Like Jesus literally just broke bread. He's having a meal with you. And, and a couple of things that I just want to, already at the first institution of breaking bread, we see a couple of things, a betrayer at hand, someone who wasn't in it for real, who, who got to partake in this, as well as just men who already wanted to make it about themselves. We're going to keep going. Luke 24 is the next sentence, uh, the next time that it's used. Uh, Luke 24, Jesus has been dead. He's been resurrected and they were crying. They were heavy. And then verse 28 of chapter 24, it says, they drew near to the village to which they were going. 
and they, meaning Jesus. Do you remember the stories when Jesus would show up as a gardener and Mary thought like he was a gardener until she realized? You see, after Jesus had died and resurrected, he came back and the disciples were like, who is this? It can't be Jesus because he's dead. And so they're confused. Well, there's a whole conversation going on early of Luke chapter 24. And now we get this little, little sneak peek right here on what's happening. It says, they drew near to a village, some of the disciples with Jesus, and Jesus acted as if he was going to go a little further. This is, this is like the master of Jesus. Oh, I'm just, I'm going to go down there. And they're like, no, like, we want to get to know you still. And so they convinced him. They urged him saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. The next verse, so he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table, this sounds interesting, right? Sounds very, very familiar. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. In verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when we were talking on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? Verse 33, they rose the same hour, they returned to Jerusalem and they found the rest of the disciples. Those who had been with them gathered together and verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed, they said. And he's appeared to Simon. And it says, they told us, they told them what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. It's really interesting. Anytime breaking of bread happens, Jesus' presence is known. Eyes are opened. So there's something really powerful that can happen over the next 21 days in your home. Jesus' presence may be made tangibly known to people. Okay, we're going to keep going. The next time, Acts chapter 2, verse four, uh, 42, Jesus has ascended. He's gone. The Holy Spirit is about to, to fall and has fallen in great ways. And now we see this, this rampage like, of, of just believers. Uh, it was really good. Uh, Brian talked this morning about the moment when Peter gave a gospel message, the first sermon he's ever given. It was right before this. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their Savior. Verse 42 then comes and it says, And they, those 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing things and uh, proceeds to all as anyone had need. In verse 46, day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's really beautiful. Breaking bread did not happen in the synagogue. It happened in the homes. And as they engaged in this, signs and wonders were accompanying it. Prayer began. And if you notice, apostles teaching, then it says the fellowship of breaking bread, the prayers, and then signs and wonders. Oftentimes, we want signs and wonders, but we don't want to start with the apostles' teaching, and definitely community isn't a part of it. And so, it's really interesting. It starts with the teaching. There's a constant fellowship going on, and then an outpouring of the Spirit with signs and wonders, and day by day by day, people were added. What would happen 
if starting next week for 21 days, we saw as day by day people were added to the faith because they were invited into breaking bread conversations. That's where it happened. It wasn't on the street. It was because they were invited into homes that were breaking bread together. Are you, are you getting this? Are you seeing this cool little, little picture? And then the last time it's used in the book of Acts, it's right here. It's very small. One verse. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, but he decided to prolong the speech until midnight. That's the last time. I just added that one in because it's fun. If you know the story, a boy falls out of a roof, Paul heals him, and then they continue eating together. It's like, what? So in the midst of breaking bread, you know, people will get lazy, will fall asleep, healings could happen, and it ends up being a really cool experience. I'm excited for what's going to happen. But then Paul takes this idea and he, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, which is one of the most well-known ideas and images of breaking bread. And he begins calling it already, halfway into the first century, the Lord's Supper. It started just as breaking bread. And now we see in, in Corinth, it's the Lord's Supper. And it's really beautiful. But if we put this in list form, all right, those of you who are note takers, the breaking of bread always has these things. Always involved bread and wine. Always. It always was initiated by one or more people, and it was always about bringing people into the table. It's interesting, it either opens the eyes to recognize Jesus, or in Judas's sake, it hardens hearts towards Jesus. Did you know the Gospel of John? We're going to dive into this next week a little bit. This is pretty ugly. John chapter 13. I did a whole like a whole paper, 23 pages, just on this section. Uh, literally, it, it was a lot. But the section says, Jesus tells them, the man whom I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it into the cup, in, in other words, the man whom I'm about to break bread with is my betrayer. And then he gives it to Judas, and none of them seemed to understand what was happening. But it says the moment Judas received it, took of it, Satan entered into him. Ooh, crazy. That the bread of life is also the bread of adversity, death to others. And so it's interesting. Uh, the eyes of people will either recognize Jesus or they'll be hardened by it. Another one, it will always seem to stir up and come against the spirit of selfishness, of pride, uh, of dissension. Like quite literally, the disciples are like, that's cool, Jesus, but who's the greatest? Like, I know that you did, but who's the greatest? I mean, I'm pretty cool. I sit at your right hand. And they begin fighting. It was, command, it was commanded as a, a, something to continue, a remembrance of Jesus. Another one, you see, it's done in homes at tables. And then it was carried into public meetings, meals together. Another one, it was a communal meal for all present. They stayed in the fellowship. It's an emphasis on community. You see this, the bread and the cup, where they were typically eaten after the meal was had. And then it was always partnered with truth. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship. It was always partnered with truth. You didn't just blatantly decide, oh, here's a bread, let's eat it. Or it's that time again, so we eat the bread and drink the cup. It was always partnered with teaching. But I say all this because I love being a pastor. 
But there's something really hard about being a pastor. Jeremy feels it up here. It's because when I'm a pastor, I have to deal with you and 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 all the new people who come in. And I love it. Hear me out. But just to open your eyes to seeing something that maybe you've not realized, my role as being a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That's what Paul says, which means I must decide to see you where you are now and also believe that God has something collectively for us outside of where we are now, right? And so then not only that, now I have to ask God because I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't even know how to like equip myself for things. Now I have to entrust and, and, and pray and hope that the word of the Lord, which it does, will reign true and give us what we need to keep going. But what is hard about being a pastor, especially a new church, is people come into it, including my wife and I, with our own idea of how to do church. You know? You know what I mean? It's interesting, right? We all do it. And it's really tough because Jeremy feels it a lot because it's not just songs anymore. Now it's like songs to worship God, but I also have to care about what songs they like. And what songs they like, they are actually outdated over here. And so they don't like them over here. And now it's like, I can't worship to God anymore because that song was like so early 2000s. And we begin struggling because now the role of the worship leader, the worship pastor, is to honor you, 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 somehow honor him his desires, his calling, and yet also bring you all into alignment with the word of God, which sometimes says, get over yourself and serve someone else. And so that's hard. Jeremy has a lot, because guess what? Your preference doesn't matter, Paul says, because to the weak, you're going to decide to be the weak. And so of Take your desire. I like really, really excited, or I like, I like soft and meditative. We'll get over it because they like it, and you're gonna, it's your time because you know Jesus. It's your time to worship in a new way, right? So he, he deals it. I deal with it too because we all have different things. We have different traditions, different attachments. So I now have the beautiful job of honoring your tradition honoring your traditions, hearing and honoring your traditions, honoring my traditions, honoring your convictions, your convictions, their convictions, while also trying to align with this, the scriptures, sorry, I have the Bible up, trying to align with the word. And aligning with the word may actually show that your convictions or some of my old convictions are more in line with comfort than they are the Holy Spirit. Because traditions are comfortable. And often our convictions are based off of what is comfortable for us. And if something is uncomfortable, we deem that as I'm convicted. But really, the Holy Spirit's like, no, you're just uncomfortable. And my word says you're going to be uncomfortable. And so it's hard. Pastoring's hard. All right, don't quit your job and do it unless you're called. All right, pastoring is difficult. But I say all of that, I'd give you all of it, because there is no more whew, arguments, ask any pastor, worship, baptism, communion. 
top three things that will bring dissension, disagreement, and disunity in any church. It's really difficult because we go down the board and how anyone does it in communion, it's starting to look really good. I mean, we have this whole list involved bread and wine. Well, we don't do wine because that's sinful. And the, 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 we, we don't do that. So now we nix that. Next one, initiated by one. Yes, pastor's always there. He's doing it. Or to some denominations, women cannot lead you in communion. Only the priest can. They've, they've overlooked the priesthood of all believers claim. It's okay. Opens the eyes to people to recognize Jesus. Uh, we do that, right? We'll always seem to stir up the spirit of selfishness. That's hard. It does it. Given as a command to, commend, to continue. And so now we got people who are disagreeing. Should we do it once a month, quarterly, every week? And just angry, fight, fight. Because it's continual, right? We're supposed to. It was always done in homes, but then carried into public meetings. It was a communal meal. Well, practically, like, we can't eat together every time. So let's, let's like, cracker, because that's cheap. In fact, you can buy it very cheap, uh, family dollar, right down the street when we forget. And sometimes, if we also forget to buy grape juice, they got cran grape juice. And it's, like, not good. You'll think that you're drinking grape juice, and then it'll shock you, because it's tart. But so, practically, we just can't have a meal together, so these are good enough, and then it's partnered with truth. The pastor spoke, now we do. And the issue is, I, the traditions surrounding it are not always the ideal image of breaking bread. In fact, I have a strong, strong statement for you. That little cracker in the cup is not the Lord's Supper. It's not. In fact, the imagery of it can sometimes be a little bit messy. Now, we can go through that list, and the majority clicks the box. But we can do an action in a wrong spirit, and the variable, the product, will not occur the way that it's supposed to, right? Have you ever done that? Well, I was loving, but you were mean. But I did the thing, but your heart was mean. And, but uh, you, it was with arrogance. And so even though you apologized, we did this with my children, you actually didn't care, and so the product wasn't what you were producing. Did you hear me? It's often a very spirit. And so if you want to take notes, write this. The issue is the spirit by which we choose to operate with the little cracker and juice. And as we get into breaking bread this month, I will tell you right now that the spirit of isolation and individualism, it dominates our modern practice of communion. And so I'm going to just, I've asked the staff to help me if y'all want to fill up that table real quick. I've asked some staff and some friends to help me over here while I'm going to uh, capture your attention in the center of the room, okay? Now, to honor you, to honor you, 
I decided to not have the communion elements in my hand as I do this, because to some of you, like, that would be offensive. I get it. I want to honor you. But this is how our church, our cultures, has begun to make communion. We have a table. We have a people. We have a pastor. We have a plate. It's either given to us or we go up to it. We don't move. It comes to us. And the imagery that is set, now just notice body language, the imagery that is set, and I need you to really work with me on the body language, because it's all about the body language. It really is. What is it communicating of your heart? This is communion. You ready? I'm going to put my mic down. That has become our communion. Very solemn, very isolated, very me, God centric, very, I sit down, I will go, but I'll go back to my individual place. When the image over here is communion, there is no priest handing it to you to get you closer to the Lord. It is a common sharing of the table, a life together. There's babies attached. There's children engaging in the meal at the table. This is communion. Now, this is the heartbeat that we try to maintain, but it's really difficult. Now, now I just want to let you know, I have this, this is a little aside, put it in the next slide. The tangible expression that we use for communion, it doesn't matter as long as the breaking bread is in the method, the rhythm, the way, if we operate in that. And so that's why we're going to continue to do communion in this way. But it's the heart posture that needs to be commanded, challenged, that we've individualized it. We've made it about me and God when communion was always about the body of Christ. And so we're going to get into this more and more. But this is the image of communion. Thank you, guys. You are so good. Thank you. Yep. Wonderful. That was beautiful. Give them a round of applause. For those who are on the podcast, because uh, those poor people have no idea what we just saw. For those on the podcast, I did it by myself, and then there's staff over there at a table eating a meal together. There you go. It's huge. Now, I say all of this um, because I do have just a wonderful little aside as we get into breaking bread, okay? Traditions, this is... this. If not secondary to the word, traditions will begin to inform our interpretation of the word. Write that down. Interp- like Traditions are good, but they are secondary. They cannot experience, cannot inform interpretation. The Holy Spirit informs interpretation. All right? Not only that, it is... When we look at scripture, we always have to look at their time first because it was not a love letter written to you. It was a love letter written to the kingdom. And it entered time and space. And it entered time and space in the moment that it was written. And so then in the moment that it was written, it is fleshed out in gorgeous, beautiful ways. 
And now we, hundreds of years later, get to partake in that same meal, not in our time first. We get to experience it when it came, and then it is made beautiful in our time. We can't just take a verse and bring it to us. We go to the verse. We sit in on the, the, the text. We become uh, partakers in what was there. And then we will begin realizing, breaking bread, wow, it's not about tradition. It is about the person Jesus filling every home, every conversation, every life, him transforming and changing the way of Jesus is not, it's not practiced or packaged into tiny little bucket or tiny little, uh, little thing of, of, of juice or cracker. It is so much greater. Something that we can tangibly bring about into every place. So now those of you who are angry, it's okay. We can... You're like, this is stepping on my hearts. This is weird. The idea of breaking bread, the spirit of individualism, it's not, um, it's not isolated to us. It attacked the very first people who heard it. Remember, they get the bread. They hear Jesus literally say, this is my body. This is my blood. Like, can you imagine how freaking cool that would be? And then they look to someone else and say, I'm greater than you. Already the spirit of individualism, of pride, is like attacking the table. It's not uncommon to our time. But not only that, like Paul was dealing with it in Corinth. People were taking time. Corinthians 11. If you want to go ahead and open up to Corinthians 11, we are going to get into here. All right? And it will help you make sense of things 1 Corinthians chapter 11, hold your thumb there, because Paul will be attacking the spirit of individualism as it was spreading in their time. But the spirit itself, I'm going to give you a quick little history lesson, because I'm a little bit nerdy, all right? The spirit of individualism itself did not become in, um, institutionalized into our ways until during the fourth century. And you're like, what? Have you ever heard? Here's my little, little nerdiness. Okay, you ready? Anyone ever heard of uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great? Okay. Many things happened really cool with this guy. Year 300, okay, year 306. Um, but he had a conversion and faith. He met the Lord. Really cool. 312, he decided. Now, this is me getting really excited, okay? He decided, we are going to have this Edict of Milan. And that's pretty cool. Edict, E-D-I-C-T of, you can read it later, Milan. And it's a pretty, pretty neat thing where they begin to legalize Christianity. What I mean by that is Rome hated Christians. Emperor Nero, the guy many before Constantine, killed them by the thousands for worshiping together, breaking bread in homes. There would be, there would be plundering. They would, they would start things on fire. Children, men, women killed for their faith. If they were a family who followed the way of Jesus, it was the way. If they were Christians, Rome would kill them. High, high treason. Constantine met the Lord, and something crazy happened. Edict of Milan, they decided to make legal the Christian faith. Not only that, they made it the religion of Rome. 
something really cool happened, a lot of cool things, obviously, uh, then it could grow a lot. Really neat things. Uh, mass producing soon would come the, the Bible. And by mass producing, I mean, they still had to write it. So it took a bit of time. But now it was a normal thing. And they could begin making these, these oral words, now written words. And they became growing and growing. And really cool stuff happened. But with it also came some issues. Because if Taylor Swift says something's cool then people who are fans of Taylor Swift will want to do what Taylor Swift did instead of thinking on their own that was cool, void of her, right? So now there's Constantine fans who want to know Christianity because Constantine has made it the norm. And so out of, of being a fan of Constantine, they become a churchgoer. The only thing that makes that messy is now you have priests who were not grown up in the faith. They were known by Constantine who became a priest instead of hired or led by the home pastors when it was illegal. And now you have whole institutions raised, handed by Constantine and not a democracy of faith. Do you understand what I mean? They weren't prayed about from apostles, disciples. They were appointed by Constantine. A mess happens. It keeps happening. So much so that they have uh, the ecumenical council. Yeah, that's fun, right? Ecumenical council where they end up making the Nicene Creed to say this is what is of faith and this is what isn't because our churches are a hot mess. Uh, I mean, heresies were coming. We were getting so far from it that we were uh, packing in buildings. Public places became synagogues because they were bigger. Like, it was growing out, out of hand. Anyone getting drunk on the weekends, coming in, and, and, and it was just a mess. What is good and what is bad? And so they laid it out in the Nicene Creed. Really beautiful. And now known as the Apostle Creed. What is real? What is what is uh, doctrine? It was all there. But I say all of this because it was also affecting communion, the Lord's Supper. Because something that could be managed in a home cannot be managed in a room full of 3,000 people who have no idea what they're doing with a bread and a cup. And so what ends up happening, if you know the universal church was born under Constantine, the Catholic church, what ends up happening then is the priest would go to each individual person, allowing them to make confession before he hands them the elements. This was so that they could individually make known why they're doing this and if they were okay to take it. And it, I say all of this because this is huge. This is very big. And I, if you want to, the biggest discrepancy was found here. And we're about to open up the full context. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 27. It says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty 
concerning the body and the blood of the, of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and who drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment. That is why many of you are weak and ill and why some have died. So the interpretation of an unworthy manner began being for non-believers, unworthy manner. For those who sinned and not confessed, unworthy manner. And it makes sense. Can I, can I get with you in this? If our church blew up and instantly we have thousands of people, the pendulum now has swung so far that we have to now make things tight. It's so many people are here that now we do a pendulum swing the opposite way and we want to narrow things down so that we can make a difference, make sense of who's in the faith and who isn't. Because it started getting really crazy, right? Who is in the faith and who isn't. And so the priest began going and allowing an individual to confess your sins to me so that I can know you're actually confessing your sins so that then I can actually give you the bread and the cup, which we know from, you know, the Reformation, little priest, uh, individual, God, little triangle is a little messy, right? We know that. You got that? To make confession only to the priest sort of isolates your sins to one individual who doesn't really know you, and then to forget him to forget, it's just a mess. But that began in order to say, I need to make sure that they know why we're doing this. It was a pendulum swing. And so they began saying, if you take this cup in an unworthy manner, you could die. Some of you have grown up in traditions where the communion table was reserved for believers only, and if you were a non-believer who took of it, you would die. If you, if, you, if you had sex with your girlfriend and didn't repent last night before you take of this, you could die. I get why they translated it that way, but if you search history books, never ever, ever did the forefathers of our faith interpret this scripture talking about non-believers or sin in that way, unconfessed sin, until after Constantine legalized Christianity. If you want to talk about what it was, look at the fathers before that was ever an issue. Because they applied their problems onto the text searching for answers. It's okay, it's okay, but as we get into what real communion is, please ask Jesus what it is. Don't ask tradition. Please ask Jesus. So we're going to discuss it as we will go, because what is the real interpretation of it? If you want to help, if this can help, the priests, and I get it, I, I would probably pendulum swing the exact same way. The priests, this is a fun little way to word it, they used this text as a way to weed out the crowd, separating it from believers, from spectators, people who were there because they wanted to be a disciple of Jesus, or people who were there because they were just fans of Taylor Swift. People, and so we use this as a way to be like, are you here because of Jesus? They wanted to separate it from seekers of the way to seekers of the world. And so they, I see why they did it. 
But as we get into what the way is, let's hear. So chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, you ready? Starts at verse 17. Paul says, but in the following instruction, I do not commend you. Who? What? He's about to get angry. This is the angriest we've seen Paul up to date. In the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Pause. For in eating, he says, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. So out of this context, before you even get anywhere else, could Paul say that about Glory Church? Yes. This is my convictions in my heart. Every Sunday, when many of us partake in the Lord's Supper, what we eat may not be the Lord's Supper because we are caring only about our interests, our own meal. And so then it begs you to say, what is breaking bread? Because then, Greg, it's not about you and God. So whenever I even pose the question, are you right with God? Do you need to repent anything? All that's really good, but that's not the context of breaking bread. That's the context of your normal repentance, which is a rhythm of the kingdom, but it's not the context of breaking bread. I know this is shifting. Some of you are like fighting. We can talk later, please. I'm going to get those emails, guys. Someone asked me, do you ever get emails? No, I just get people leaving or I just get the weird texts or they just don't talk to me anymore. But it's, would he say this? It's not the Lord's Supper for in eating it, each one goes ahead with your own meal. It continues. One ends up going hungry and another getting drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in or drink in? Do you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. And you're like, what is happening? Okay, so in this context, they had a meal. They didn't have a little cracker and a cup. And so what you had is people who were like, who were like um, uh, Sheila. I'm going to use that name again. Sheila made her pot pie. And, I, and not only that, she also brought her baked like bread afterwards. And so they would rush the line. They would get their fill. They would eat it up. They would drink the wine. I'm going to pour a little bit more. Some of you, you do that at parties. You know, you're like, you see everyone else with this much and you're like, but my cup's bigger. So you just pour a little bit more and, and then they would drink and that would be it. While then there were the poor, the needy, those who've come in from off the streets in this shared meal, not able to partake in anything. Not only 
that. As they're caring and feeding themselves, there's new people who are coming in who don't know what to do, and they're not being told because everyone's just eating themselves. All of these issues Paul's hearing about and saying, what is this? You're filling your plates. You have homes to fill your bellies. The Lord's Supper is not a way for you to be filled. The Lord's Supper is a way, are you ready to this? To claim, I am filled. I have been made new. He has shaped me. It's a very different message. And so he continues. He says, I will not commend you. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it. Many of us drink wine, and we do not think of Jesus. Do it in remembrance of me. Maybe you would stop drinking so much if you were in remembrance of him. For as often, verse 26, as you eat this bread, how many of us eat bread a lot? We love carbs. As often as you drink the cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. It's really beautiful. Breaking bread is a proclamation of what the Lord has done. It really is. You have the opportunity to make a cognitive decision every time you drink wine to make a vocal proclamation of your new life in Christ. It is a command from the Lord as often as you do this. And by you doing that, you proclaim the Lord's death. It was really cool. A commentary said this, uh, the Lord's Supper is to be a sermon to the eye, a message to the... to con- Well, a message to be consumed by a mouth and a confirmation of what Jesus has done for all. It's really cool. And then verse 27 happens. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks of the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner. Pause. Whenever we read, therefore, just so you know, you cannot take a text, a verse, out of the context of the text it's in, especially if the writer uses the word, therefore, Because then you have no concept of what it's there for unless you look ahead and see the whole stream that it was there for. Okay? Therefore, if anyone drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. What's the unworthy manner? Doing it for yourself. Doing it void of the body. He's already laid out what the unworthy manner is. Feeding your belly and neglecting the poor. Unworthy manner. Not seeing that Jesus didn't die for you. He died to usher in the kingdom. And so we take communion in light of the kingdom. So let a person examine himself then. So they can eat and drink the cup. For if anyone who drinks without discerning the body, and guess what? This word doesn't mean discern your personal body. It means discern the body of Christ, which means if you're not drinking, eating bread, breaking bread without 
discerning, examining the body of Christ, your part in it, your role in it, are you in a good relationship with it? Is there any disagreement going on with you in them? Then you are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It is not about your individual body's level of sin. It is about your connection with the body of Christ. This is why Paul will later say, if you have an grievance with someone, pause, stop what you're doing. Go make it right before you come and worship the Lord. Because it is about the body of Christ. And then he says, if anyone, you're drinking judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. I mean, weak and ill, I don't know. Some have died. Whether that means they've been smote, I don't know. Smote's a past tense word of smite. I, I learned that. I Googled it. Is it smited? Is it smitten? Smote. Some have smote. Some have been smote. Or perhaps did they get so drink, so drink, so drunk? I'm messing up my pre- past present. Did they get so drunk that they fell off of a roof? We don't know whether it was natural occurrences or not, but they did it in an unworthy way. They neglected the body, and so there were people getting sick, which I would just pause and ask, have you had a continual sickness lately, an illness that might be a natural occurrence of you not living in good community with people? Because that's the same kind of thing. Like, we got to realize, isolation really does destroy your immune system. It's a thing. Isolation really does destroy your immune system. I think God, in, he instinctually knew that, like instinctively made the body need each other. And so there's a natural thing as well as a spiritual thing. Do you keep struggling with that same sin? Maybe it's because you are not a part of community with it. There's some illness, there's some weakness There's some death, some sleepiness in our system. What if it's because we're not breaking bread? So a whole new way to look at that. What I believe, you can challenge me. What I believe is this way, interpreted by what he's saying. But it's interesting, though. He says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Literally what he's meaning, this is the harsh truth. Sometimes God just allows us to die so that we stop sinning here. Like, that's, it's a judgment of the Lord that's void of condemnation. Sometimes he just allows, allows us to go, and that's okay. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do I know this is not talking about non-believers? Well, because the whole context of the, this whole text is written to believers who are doing things in an unworthy way. So I would be, and this is, this is unpopular opinion, and you can contact me, I would go to say that a non-believer eating the bread and drinking the wine in a service is more tradition than it is interpretation. It's more tradition than it is biblically. Because the context was come to my home and break bread with me, and you will visibly get to see this testimony of my Savior who gave up for me. Who gave the, and so it was a meal, and so we've, just, we've shifted. The unworthy manner was not if they were a believer or a non-believer. I get that that is better if they understood. And so you're like, well, why are they not understanding? It's because 
Maybe they're not invited to your home so that you can tell them it. Because that was the context at all, was you invite them in, you tell them the truth, and then they partake of it. I read some nasty commentaries. I just really strong. There's one guy who said, you are doing an affront to the gospel if you let a non-believer drink condemnation on themselves. And I was like, they're going to hell anyways. Like, it's not the act of communion that's sending them there. Like, but you're doing an affront to the gospel, he said, if, if you let someone. And the point of it was to say, come into my home. Let me, because Judas also took the Lord's Supper. Let me share this story. And the reality is Jesus, who died for all, some will say that's a stumbling block. <laughs> but he still died for all. So the bread is somehow for all, though some it will be to death, others it will be to life. So we get to, dis- we get to let people decide at the table. Do you want this to mean anything? Or is this just another hardening of your heart? That's what happened at the tables. Really beautiful, really challenging, very tradition-breaking. And so then he ends in this way, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. How do I know this is not talking to non-believers? Because he says, my dear brothers, how to fix the unworthy manner is when you come together, serve one another. That word means expect one another, anticipate one another. That means if I approach the table and I don't anticipate your presence there, then I'm already being unworthy of the body. And not that I'm made unworthy, but I'm doing it in an unworthy way. This is for us, not for me. This is for us to be together. And then he says, if anyone's hungry, eat at your home. So that when you come together, it's not for judgment. Stop making God have to deal with your little disputes. Decide to stop them on your own. Like, really, like, you can do it. You can do it. And then about the other things, I'll give direction when I come. (laughs) What? Okay. So as we engage in this month, already some of you just need to shake off the awkwardness that this has, has occurred. I'm telling you, communion is one of the biggest, like, fights that the church has. And so I just want to ask, like, I don't know everything, but what I do know, I want to give to us. I want to experience together. I do know that the church in Acts looked very different than Glory Church. And I have a hungering to look a little bit more like that. Anyone else? Yeah. So if we all just sit in this, I don't know, but I want it to look like that scenario, then we have to say, we don't just need to take what that is and apply it to us, but we also need to say, I need to know the underlying things that fit into that time so that I can take those underlying things into our church. Does that make sense? Because that's what matters. I'm not telling you to sell all your possessions, live together, but we might need to do something that has that same heart posture in order to break bread together. Does that make sense? Okay, so, whew, we're done. We did that. All right, come next week. 
We're diving in. I know that was really long. I had to get that theological basis for you, share the podcast so we're ready. Next week, we're literally diving into what does it look like to be the body of Christ? All right, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. That's bread. Why bread? The next week, why wine? What does that mean? New covenant. And the next week, why a table? Why did he do it at, reclined at a table? And so I'm, I'm excited. We're getting into that. Um, but I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and I'm going to pass it off to my friend Lexi. The band's going to come up. And then we're going to end the service. Do apologize for how long it was. But God, in this place, I know that you're here. Holy Spirit, would you just already just comfort the hearts who just feel an unsettling for maybe a presentation of the word that they've not heard before? Holy Spirit, I just want our eyes to see you. This isn't my ways, but God, I do just want an understanding of why we think what we think. So I thank you that we can look back at history. I thank you that we can start seeing the why and it makes sense why. But God, I don't want to be a follower after Constantine. I don't even want to be a follower after Paul. I want to be a follower after you, Jesus. And so show me your ways. Show us your ways. Holy Spirit, I just cannot wait to see what you're going to do as we are in one accord. Because the issue is that the enemy hates your body so much that he gets to daily try to destroy it. Church, you need to hear this. He gets to daily try to destroy it by damaging our relationships because we are the physical representation of you, Jesus. And if he can't take out you, he will try to destroy and distort how we look, how you look. But God, I pray unity. That's what the... Breaking bread is about unity over our church. The ability to set aside disagreements and come to the table. Because I believe when we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, Jesus, when we are not breaking fellowship and we are instead breaking bread, and when we are continually praying that we will see signs and wonders and day by day by day you will add many. And Holy Spirit, would you just convict the hearts in this room, who can confidently say they've never led someone to the Lord. Maybe during this series, they're going to lead someone to the Lord in their home. I declare that to be day by day, you're going to add people to the faith. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.